everybody, it's your old friend John DeLuna with another RFC minicast. Joining me this week, Headmaster Don, uh, a Bacon legend, Diecast, a Transformers reviewer, legend, and Brian, <laughs> just a living legend. In general, in the world of podcasting, Brian, I heard a uh, podcast this week that uh, had Mark Marin talking about the uh, like the big bang of podcasting when there yeah. were just a scant few podcasts. And I mm-hmm. guess he was one of the early uh, adopters, relatively speaking. It made me think of you, Brian. You you were you were pre Big Bang. You were in that. Uh, that we morass. were we were pre Big Bang. We were there at the same time. Yeah, it feels weird to to not get our due. I know, right? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Uh, this week, guys, on the minicast, we are gathered here on a holiday week, Fourth of July week in the United States, to discuss third-party Transformers and perhaps, just perhaps, the hint, the whiff uh, in the air of perhaps a bubble starting to burst, or at least feeling the pangs of growth and supply and demand and. Perhaps a, uh, a return to normalcy, so to speak. I'm talking in general about the third-party market, and there's some things that we're going to talk about the, during this minicast that may indicate that uh, the third-party market is, uh, if not undergoing a course correction, is certainly starting to feel the uh, the pain of having a bit of a history at this point and trying to find new reasons to exist. So uh, real quick, before we get into this, guys, I did look at some numbers, and I know even Brian prepared some notes, and we know DieCast is going to uh, rightly, you know, defend a third party here and there, but uh, also, you know, face the facts. Here are a couple of things, a couple numbers to run past you guys. I did a quick survey of Big Bad Toy Store uh, this evening and TF Source this evening. Uh, Big Bad Toy Store, by my count, has around 90 overall, not including Transformers and non-Transformers third parties. At least on their website, they have about 90 manufacturers of of third-party stuff on their site. Uh, A good 19 of that 90 is what I would call, or or, or what I would call um, active or semi-active Transformer third-party manufacturers. They would have more than than one or two things uh, listed in their category. Uh, TF Source which uh, unlike Big Bad is uh, dedicated effectively totally to Transformers and uh, not Transformers. Uh, They have uh, well over uh, 50, 60 plus um, manufacturers in their third party uh, listings in their categories. Uh, I I stopped counting after I got into the mid fifties. So I think they're, uh, I think they are uh, sniffing about 70 labels uh, on their website. That is a uh, a lot of inventory, certainly just a lot of coding uh, for your e-commerce site. Uh, but yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked to look at uh, Big Bad and see, including everybody, not just Transformer uh, third-party companies, uh, almost 100 uh, manufacturers that are listed on their site with at least uh, at least one or two things for sale. That is, uh, that is overwhelming. Uh, but one of the things that kicked off uh, the idea for this minicast and then I'll start going around the room, uh, was Big Bad about, uh, oh, four, six weeks ago at this point. Big Bad Toy Store uh, sent out a series of uh, emails to customers noting that they were having uh, big group sales slash closeouts, primarily focused on two different third-party manufacturers, one TFC and one DX9, and they were effectively clearing out of those manufacturers with heavy discounts on just about everything that those manufacturers had. And uh, Big Bad was marketing it as uh, a, a great opportunity if you're a TFC fan to pick up just about everything on heavy discount or if you're a DX9 fan. This is your opportunity to pick everything up at a, uh, at a nice deal, which is true. It is also true that they were very clearly trying to uh, clear out of a entire label um, all at once. So, Brian... A couple other things popped up, too, uh, real quick. Do what now? So, the, the, a couple other things happened, too. Don't forget the release or the announcement of Masterpiece Sunstreaker yes. and the evacuation of people and their Sunstorm uh, third-party, not Masterpiece Sunstreaker figures. Sunsurge. Sun sur- yeah, Sunsurge. And the announcement of DX9's 
uh, Omega Supreme, which promptly uh, caused, uh, is it toys. a Toy World, Fans right? Toys. Fans Toys to slash the price of their own uh, Ouchkiss My Walletus, uh, which implies, hey, they had quite a bit of room to cut and probably still more left to do. So those, that, that happened as well. Indeed, indeed. And, and kind of just, uh, we'll get into it in a second, even just the meta, the meta circumstances of Takara's masterpiece uh, release schedule and kind of strategy of late tends to be um, dropping stuff kind of out of nowhere and darn near complete and ready to roll. And um, they're starting to get deeper cuts into the uh, character roster. And like I said, doing it without a lot of forewarning which uh, I'm sure is going to make a lot of people who pre-order third-party masterpiece stuff or even third-party masterpiece makers a bit nervous they can't really uh they can't really navigate uh without a lot of uh a lot of heads up uh from uh, Takara which they're not getting now. So uh so Brian, I know that you were um uh, into this topic. So um I mean what what based on what you just said and I've just said I mean what's your read? What's your read on third-party as of uh mid 2017? So I guess my hot take would be, you know, the bubbles bursting. But I, I like your I mean, thing is, it's not one bubble. It's a bunch of bubbles. So it's not like the bubble's going to burst and third party's going to go away. So course correction, I think, is probably a good way of putting it. I mean, there's a this market is so screwed up when it comes to third party, not even talking about the the strange legality issues or the uh, IP theft aspects of it. Just the fact that there are so many of these manufacturers that must have incredibly low overhead and almost no cost. I mean, they can sell a third-party item, third-party masterpiece item, at parity with Takara, and oftentimes lower because of the lack of overhead. Their margins that the these uh, retailers are getting, from what I hear, are ridiculous. So they have room to cut. You got to think about it this way, too. It's usually it's probably a person, maybe a designer or two. They can do all their prototyping on a 3D printer. Um, They don't have to worry about HR. They don't have to worry about, you know, factories. They don't have to worry about all these things that a big company like Takara or Hasbro have to worry about. So, I mean, it's kind of like us, right? Doing a podcast. I mean, the cost of the barrier of entry is so low now that anybody can do it. I'm just glad we don't have to worry about HR. That's right. Uh, God, especially you. Yeah, but, but remember, he is our friend when things get rough. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, but, it, I mean, again, it's a weird market. You have all these people making these third-party toys. Uh, they don't have to worry about uh, cost other than the cost of material goods, honestly, and transportation. Uh, you have all these companies buying up the stuff. And I'm certain in some cases, especially with, like, Zhang, which I, third-party is probably too generous. I mean, they're counterfeiters pretty much. Yes. Um, I, Hasbro, Takara, you're probably, uh, breathing down some necks. So, uh, it's a really weird, it's a really weird market. And I think it has to correct itself. Otherwise we'll have 15 masterpiece springers by the end of next year. <laughs> That's very well, we true. already have six masterpiece springers. I know, right? I guess the question oh, is, are any of them good? But that's subjective. I, I don't uh, feel like there's a course correction. I just, I just feel like there's too many companies out there and some are better than others. And the ones that aren't that good are going to suffer and they're going to end up. Not necessarily. Uh, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Not necessarily. You know, sometimes a bad product can get by. And a good product that, you know, costs too much and too much effort has to go into it is going to suffer because a smaller or another company could release five of a toy, five toys in the time it takes them to develop one. Right. And nobody buys it because. There've already been six other versions of that character released. Yeah, and and you know, I I think uh, one of the figures that was on Big Bad Toy Store's sale was Alan, which was Unique Toys Masterpiece Springer, which was the first one to market. And I think maybe they overproduced it, and they still had excess sitting in a warehouse. And Big Bad Toy Store is buying the excess and they're shipping it in as slow as possible just to just to get it at a discounted rate and that way people can you know it's good for the manufacturer it's good for the customers it's not good for the manufacturer in the sense that they probably had to take discount on it but i think that was because there were so many there were so many announced and 
usually you can be the first one out if the figure's good people will buy it anyway but if there's other designs out that people people rather have like maybe the fans toys one or maybe the x transbots one then they're gonna wait and they're they're gonna wait till some others come out before they make their buying decision and they may never actually pick one up because they're still waiting that's me in a lot of cases yeah just not ready to uh, strike there's just too much market uncertainty i guess brian are you um are you convinced that it's just it's just worth waiting for the chance that you'll get a first party version of something yeah like when it comes to masterpiece scale i am done with one potential caveat if it's something that hasbro or that takara tomi will release i'm i'm going to not buy a third party version of it but if it's something original like this uh the what was it the dx9 uh rally or whatever however you say it the uh, rally car version of that uh, hoist mold that looks uh, from TFCon that looks awesome, and yeah, it's the same mold, but it's been slightly modified, and it's not a Hasbro character. I think XV said he thought it was Rector. I mean, it's the right colors, but it's not like the right head sculpt or anything. So I think it's I think it's intended to be original. I think it looks mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Hey Don, do you uh, do you think that this is? Uh, a market correction that we're seeing the beginnings of something, or do you think it's just, um, you know, a, a couple of manufacturers that are maybe going through a rougher time than, than some, uh, I mean, what do you think? How big of, uh, how big of a change in, uh, in the climate, so to speak, the temperature of third party are we seeing, uh, over this, uh, over this year? Well, I think this is going to be, uh, if you look at it in terms of economics, there's always, uh, there's always peaks and lows, and I think the third-party market has now been out long enough. Now, I'm talking about when they first started doing with fans projects. Uh, their that Springer they did originally uh, that came out the very early on. Um, when when thir- when people started doing th- full figures and not accessory kits like Unicron.com was doing for back in, back in the early days, so. I think what we're seeing here is companies restructuring. They're getting rid of overstock. And now that we're getting some, again, like Brian said, we're getting some Takara characters that uh, was so, a Sunstreaker was up in the air for so long. Bumblebee was up in the air for so long that people are saying, well, if we're getting them and they were these hard ones to get, what about the ones like Hoist and Trailbreaker that don't have a a particular manufacturer you have to get a license from or the license wouldn't be you know let's say they actually go out go after chevy to get a a blazer kind of look for trailbreaker you know they that would probably not be a hard thing to get versus you know lamborghini um so i I think i think we're i think we're just seeing a lot of third-party companies trying to restructure themselves uh some are going off like like you know TFC is one of the one of the companies on clearance at Big Bad Toy Store, but they're still making product in the fact that they're coming out with the, with the first component of their Road Caesar, which is I don't expect Takara to be doing a Road Caesar anytime soon, any combiners anytime soon. So they're just trying to refocus and maybe 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 we'll start seeing them get away from this eighty four eighty five eighty six bucket that they keep drawing from hey don't don't do you think that there's a just a, a a fair amount of fatigue when it comes to collectors and these third-party toys uh, kind of like the last night the last night is way underperforming I mean, of course that's a general audience not transformers fans but it's the same kind of thing except instead of having you know five movies over the course of 10 years we're getting dozens and dozens and dozens of third-party toys over the course of a year for the last seven years or so, I think there's a lot of fatigue. And I mean, we even joke about it each week on the show. We can never half the time remember the names because they all run together. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know that there's enough of a market to sustain 90 companies. I know there's not, especially when a, a big company might make a couple thousand units, unless they're expecting, you know, not to at least break even on these things. I just don't know that there's enough fans to actually support more than just a handful of these people. 
And it's a it, and I don't know that normal market forces can guide this right now because I again the barrier of entry to build these things it's so low right now it's ridiculous. Well, it, it's just it just seems to me that that's the closest parallel I can draw is just it's it's the market has been has been in existence long enough for us to start seeing trend trends to start taking place and this is the first you know market correction they're they're just. Uh, they're looking at other options and getting away from what Takara might do to find their niche that people realize they're they're not going to be doing a Road Caesar anytime soon, or they're not going to be doing a Landclaws, or they're not going to be doing a Grandis or something like that anytime soon. Yeah, but then there's and even the if problem. they did, I mean, nobody probably bought them. Then there's the problem of are most people going to buy those? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I think just just in terms of general, I think we could all really use a new Grandis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I yeah. could, and you know, it's just and Road Caesar definitely needs something better than what the G one toy was. But again, I, I know what you mean. It's going to be very character. I think character choices for these companies is now going to be more important than just making anybody because so many have already been made. I mean, I'm still gonna buy third party masterpiece figures. I mean, someone needs to do a really good power glide. No one's done Power Glide yet. There are figures out there that Takar hasn't touched, you know, third party hasn't touched. And if it's a good figure, and I'll use the example of uh, the Make Toys Jazz, I can't think of the name of him. Downbeat. Uh, Downbeat, that he's a great figure. I don't think he's perfect. I think Takar can do a better job, but I don't know if that's going to be in a couple months or a couple years. So I bought the make toys one and I'll be very happy with that. And I'm not going to complain when Takara makes one. I'm going to, if, if I like that one, I'm going to buy it. I have a bunch of figures that I bought third party of first. And then the official Takara came out and I bought that also, uh, make toys, Hellfire. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're a strange case though. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, most people aren't going to do yeah. that. In fact, I'd say less than probably five in a hundred would end up doing that. I don't know anybody else who does that except for me, and I don't do it as often as you do. I think uh, I think one of the challenges too with third party, and I'm hearing it here and there when you guys talk, is so the the inherent kind of challenge with it is that you have all these people not uh, working in coordination. They're also they're working obviously towards their own interests and their uh, personal goals and all that stuff, and so. It's not like with uh, Hasbro and Takara when they decide a theme for a year or a couple years and they're able to cleanse the palate of the customer. It's something like, uh, in hindsight, Combiner Wars really feels like it was a palate cleanser where, where we were kind of rolling along. Then they stopped for a year or so, did something very specific, and it was very exciting, but it also kind of hit the reset button. And so now that they've shifted back to just a conventional line, even though it's headmasters and it's you know it's fun, it's nostalgic as anything we've ever had. Uh, after a year of a very specific thing in Combiner Wars, it's uh, it's helped make Titans Return a little bit fresher. But with third party, there have only been like a few kind of like macro trends, I guess, that I could identify. Uh, yeah, I'll list them. If you guys think of any other ones, you know, chime in. But uh, um, basically, after I kind of lay these out, what I'm thinking is like. What I don't know what the next one is for third party because these big macro trends do help. Uh, they do help kind of uh, reignite that market, that third party market. If if you see like these kind of general trends uh, of where multiple companies are going, uh, the first one obviously when it was very young, third party was a lot about um, upgrading weapons, upgrading kits. Every now and then you would see a little bit of armor, so it was more about uh, augmenting official toys. And then as the technology obviously uh, became accessible to make full-on Transformers, then we saw a shift to uh, combiners. I mean, that was kind of like the big splash is uh, everybody ran to Devastator and some very obvious combiners. Those are high-ticket items. Uh, If you get a customer to commit to one, you probably get them to commit to five or six toys. That's great uh, mm-hmm. for the business. And then uh, most recently, the the trend that we saw uh, that had a hot streak was uh, Masterpiece, so third-party Masterpiece toys, Yeah, which is now starting to uh, age and, and, like we said, kind of come under attack by the way Takara is uh, handling Masterpiece a lot more uh, aggressively. 
it seems like in the last year. Um, so Brian, I, I would, I would ask you, I mean, can you think of any other macro trends that we've seen in the past yeah. and then, um, ponder what could be the next? Cause I can't, I honestly, I'm not sure I can think of one offhand that could be the next big trend in that market. Uh, yeah. So here, a couple, couple thoughts on that. Um, so my first thought is I, those are trends that are thematic in nature that we can see based on what they're actually producing. I think probably a trend that popped up that is more um, business in nature is who can get there first. So these companies, yeah, they're not working in concert. Technically, they're competing against each other. And a lot of time and effort and energy goes into these things. So they're trying to see you know, who can get out the next toy. And if you're not the person who gets it out next, can you get out the one that people actually want to buy? Yes. So I think there's a lot of uh, scrambling for um, the actual uh, mind share uh, and business share of uh, figures. Um, but one thing before I get to what I think the next trend is, just one thing I want to point out, and, and it just occurred to me. So you have certain resources, certain things that uh, impact your ability to uh be profitable so hasbro takara again they have to worry about things like um you know overhead hr all this stuff basically there, there are two forces driving i think the uh these companies uh two things that two main resources they have one time so it's just like i'm going back to the podcast thing you know when we first started doing this the barrier of entry to a podcast was way harder now it's way easier now we know people who sit and record. They have all the free time in the world. They sit and record 50 podcasts a day. And, you know, the, obviously the quality of that <clears throat> sinks. Uh, it's the amount of time you put into whatever, you know, yada, yada, yada. But that's one thing that controls it. But two is the willing. Two is the willingness of buyers, retailers like Big Bad Toy Store or whoever to actually buy their product, resell it. And I think that that is what's becoming more scarce at this point. Which I think leads to the next trend. Again, I don't think it's a trend that is thematic in nature. I think it's business in nature, and that's profitability. I think they have to figure out some way to actually be profitable or at least break even. They don't want to, one, um, stop having the ability to produce the toys or people to actually buy them. So I, the toys have been really profitable, I think, for the retailers because the margins on them are so high from what we've heard. The markup on the toys are ridiculous, again, though, because there's a risk that the retailers have to run in selling the toy because they don't have things like buyback agreements or RTM agreements with the major retailers, and they don't have necessarily a big company standing behind them. So to sell the toys, they have to be able to make quite a bit of money off of them. Otherwise, they're not going to carry it. So I think as the number of companies constrict, because I think they'll have to, I think they also at the same time have to figure out a way to be productive and profitable. Otherwise, you know, I don't think many of them will keep going. I think that's, I think that's probably what the next uh, the trend is. Diecast. Uh, what about, uh, what about your perspective? Do you think, uh, do you think that there are any big trends, at least from a product standpoint, if not a business standpoint that are still kind of like left undiscovered by uh, third parties? Uh you know, I don't know. I, I, I start, I'm starting to see more movie adaptations, you know, companies going after the movie figures uh, and doing them really well. There's supposed to be a really nice ratchet coming out that I just recently saw. And I don't know if I can ever say any of the ratchets that we got from Hasbro were that good. Now they, you know, they weren't at that price point to be what I would expect like masterpiece level or something like that. So I think that's going to be a trend is the movie masterpieces, but that'll run out pretty quick. There's only so many figures that they can do. And so many people that'll and buy so them. many people that'll buy. I, I mean, a lot of the people that said, Oh, I hate movie toys. Once they say, once they see the masterpiece style, they're like, Oh, I would buy that. So I, I think there's a little bit of that going on, but I mean, the one thing I notice is all these companies, how they have, uh, you know, they're kind of related and you're starting to see like TF direct, uh, just had a problem with toy world. And this, uh, I'm going to say this all hearsay cause it's stuff I've said, I've read on the internet. So, um, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but apparently 
Toy World was having problems paying people and paying the distribution centers and paying the manufacturer, uh, paying the, I guess the, uh, the warehouses that actually make the figures, uh, there was just some bad pay issues. And they actually said, because of that, they're going to stop carrying Toy World. They're also going to stop carrying Zeta Toys, which is a extension of Toy World and iGear which iGear has been dead for a while. I, I, I've heard rumors that iGear was coming back, but now I'm also hearing that iGear is somehow related to Toy World. So there, there's a lot of that going on, and there's a lot of companies that are that end up either going away or changing names because of lack of quality or other issues. Done. One of the things that uh, I have thought of from time to time and. Some companies have dabbled in this a lot more than others. Some really haven't touched this at all. It's the idea of direct sales. Now, Diecast actually does a lot of effectively direct purchasing uh, across the oceans. But uh, we haven't really seen, or at least I am unaware of, like a true full-on rollout with marketing and the whole shebang for just buying absolutely anything direct from one of these third-party uh, manufacturers on, on a big, fully formed e-commerce site and, and you know, with all the bells and whistles, um, cutting out the middleman of uh, somebody like TF Source or Big Bad or anybody else like that. Yeah, I mean, is that a scenario where you think they could find success? Do you, or do you think, do you think that in, even in our world, uh, that e-commerce sites like Big Bad, TF Source, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. There's, there's at least a half dozen of very established online retailers. Uh, do you think that the trust factor is too high, uh, that they are too established, they have too much of a foothold, that they're kind of uh, necessary in this world? Or do you see a time when uh, third-party fans would be in uh, mass willing to kind of switch over to a direct purchase model? I mean, are you yourself, would you yourself be comfortable saying going to like the uh, a mastermind creations store, a destination site, or any other site like that, and purchasing direct, and you know, effectively cutting out big bad. Uh, I mean, I mean, where's your comfort level on that? Well, I, I, that's a very good point, John. And a lot of us have already done that, kind of to a degree, with Fans Project Core. Now, that was a website uh, working with directly with Fans Project. Uh, getting the small the small power masters for their uh, the several of their figures uh, that was of only available his trailer was only available through there and things such as that I think it right now the third party companies are not going to be looking at doing a lot of you know unless they have a, a forum or they have like fans project core a a companion site that they work with to get exclusives i don't think they're going to they're not going to leave tf source they're not going to leave captured prey they're not going to leave bbts because it's too much exposure with any on any one given item you're reaching so much more pe so many more people that go there every day looking for something if it's on their front page as a pre-order you'll you'll get a lot more eyeballs on it than you would your own page but also the fact is there is a there is a curve involved and if these companies start seeing that, I'm going to use Diecast and myself, one of our favorite companies, Fans Toys. Fans Toys, with their Dinobots, garnered a lot of goodwill, a lot of uh, industry uh, recognition for the quality, the overall quality of their Dinobots. There was a few issues here and there, but overall, those Dinobots are pretty damn solid. So if they've got a character that they think would be a good fit to maybe launch a website, launch a uh, Fans Project Core kind of combined forum. I think they're going to be looking at this a lot closer now, but it's not something they're going to really jump into unless they feel that they have either the backing of their, their, their catalog of products is there, or that they have an item that is so unique that they can control it better uh, and maybe go back and make more of this if it does well directly from their site. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think, I think building the infrastructure and having the basically on the fulfillment side, uh, that is obviously the the big barrier to creating e-commerce because you're going to be basically drop shipping to American 
addresses, uh, residential addresses. And if you're not geared up to do that kind of drop shipping, obviously you just can't do it. But, uh, you know, with everything else, if everything else in the world gets progressively easier, like it sure seems to be, uh, once that, uh, once that barrier is crossed, I, I would, I would expect in my mind, I would expect the ones, the third party companies that are poised for growth, uh, maybe the ones that have uh, a little bit of cash, uh, some investment power, probably be looking to do that. I, I, I think that that might even be, that may even be the, uh, the indicator of who has, uh, who has invested in themselves and who has saved wisely and, and who has, who has just run their business in a way where they can take opportunities like, uh, like drop shipping, e-commerce, that kind of thing, direct, direct to consumer business models where they can take advantage of that once they yeah. can accomplish it, accomplish it, execute it. So I think you might see, see the divide, uh, further, uh, increase widen between the, uh, the haves and the have nots and the third party. Uh, Brian, uh, Hey John. I got hey, I got to cut in on sure. on you on this oh, one, yeah. just because I have a great uh, couple points that I've realized throughout basically the last year, um, and this is something Brian will probably argue with me on. And I'm glad you brought up probably. the distribution because the way it works is we'll just take a manufacturer, make toys. They don't send the product to the chosen prime or big bed toy store tf source or any of those they have a distributor to handle all that the distributor Mm -hmm. will work with anyone who buys large quantity we'll say quantity of more than 25 but the amount of sellers i see for a particular item on a site like taobao there's a lot more retailers selling this than you could ever imagine just looking at it from a u.s standpoint i would say there's 20 or 30 times the amount of sellers in china compared to u.s oh now the thing about the u.s is and and i've noticed this from the buying uh even like fans toys Fans Toys uh, Phoenix because I wanted two of them because Skyfire is my favorite G1 character. I got to play around with the uh, test shot, luckily doing a review for it, and I wanted a second one. So I purchased my first one through US, which came first. My second one came a couple weeks later, and the reason that is, it's at a cheaper cost, but... The distributor is sending them to the U.S. stores first because they're paying more. Not only just because of the shipping, they're paying more per figure. And that's why U.S. Mark, U.S. retailers get them first. So when, you, when you're on Taobao and I'm getting something from, from China, I may be between shipping to the distributor and shipping to me which usually takes about a week and a half two weeks give or take u.s customs um i'm gonna get the figure probably a month month and a half later than if i would have ordered it from a u.s store but i'm gonna save a bunch of money i mean phoenix shipped was probably about 160 dollars to where he was 220 uh from a u.s store Wait, how much did you pay for it? With shipping, probably about one hundred and sixty. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so what was it, what was I going to argue with? Because what you said just makes perfect sense. Um, the basically the uh, the amount of units that are being produced, it's it's a lot higher than we think. Uh, I mean, so let's say that fifty retailers get it on average; they each get twenty five. That's a thousand. That's twelve hundred and fifty. Well, I, I'm I'm sure it's a lot more than that, I, I, especially. You may be right for certain figures, but I I think your estimate's probably a little bit low. It's probably a little bit low, but certain things I think that's dead on, and that's actually probably more units than other things get. I think it probably depends on the figure and and the popularity. But to what you're saying about U.S. retailers getting it first, I mean, one thing obviously, and you know this, and I'm just saying it for the listeners, it's not like. You wave a magic wand, then all the toys pop into existence. I mean, they go through batches. They have to be produced um, in certain quantities. So it sounds like the U.S. retailers are paying more to get these first waves of figures. Yeah, and I think that's a problem. And so for prior guys, yeah. I mean, we want everything first. 
So, well, it, again, it's again, it's being fir- the first to the uh, punch. It's like like when you do your reviews, you want to be the first person to do a review on it because people will see it. If you're the fifteenth person, nobody's going to see it. If you're the first retailer that gets something in, you're going to sell most of your quantity if it's something people want. And if you're the fifteenth retailer, you're going to be setting on it for Absolutely, a while. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Absolutely. But that would be another uh, factor that would limit, you know, like a a retailer like Make Toys selling it on their own because uh, a lot of those are geared Ah. towards U.S. pricing. And and what are they going to do for, you know, other areas of the world that typically don't pay as much as we do? That also also plays into kind of the game of chicken with uh, online pre-orders at this point where it's so much – it's really important, especially – if you have a system where it's easy for people to cancel their pre-orders, it's really important now to get your stock first to try to minimize the abandon abandonment rate of your pre-orders. Cause I'm, that's for sure to some degree happening with all these, uh, all these transformer specific or transformers related online retailers. Cause I imagine uh, the crossover, uh, the, like the percent of crossover customers is, is massive between all the heavy hitters in our world. Uh, everybody knows about everybody else and uh, all the fans know about every site. And even though they all advertise their pre-orders um, from practical purposes at exactly the same time, sometimes the in-stock date can vary uh, quite a bit on stuff. So from that standpoint alone, just to make good on your pre-orders or to cash in on your as many pre-orders as possible, that's probably gotten even more important for this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Hey, John, one thing I wanted to add earlier is you were talking about marketing direct. Uh, Recently, uh, there was an example of a major step forward, I think, in the whole process using Kickstarter, uh, which is right now, short of opening up your own store, about as direct as you can get when Ocular Max Group financed their Cogen, which was their art fire using the backdraft mold. Uh, and the Kickstarter went through, and it was produced, and I think the final cost to the consumer was about eighty-seven to ninety dollars, give or take, based on the based on the, how well the Kickstarter did. So I think that that's it's not exactly marketing in the purest sense of the word, but if you've got a figure that you're not sure of, or you think it'll do well, but you want to run it up the flagpole, that could be what we're going to be seeing a lot more companies turn to is. You know, they they did their grapple, they did their inferno. Now you've got a third use of the mold, and they were thinking probably how many people want this as art fire? Let's run it through Kickstarter. Let's see if we can get it produced. And if they know the better the Kickstarter does, the cheaper per unit price, then they're basically selling direct to the people that fund the Kickstarter. So I mean, that's what they did with Dystopia. There's right? one problem with that. No, Dystopia, I don't think, had any discounts. It was just a wet... No, it had the, the pre-order thing through Make Toys. Yeah, but, I'm, but, I mean, it, but I'm, I'm saying the whole the whole project wasn't hinged on making the goal or not. So there was they... one problem with that Kickstarter model. First, it's a U.S. Uh, Kickstarter is a U.S. retailer. But it wasn't actually Kickstarter. It was just something they did through their own website. You're I'm right. sorry. I, th- I thought it was Kickstarter. I'm sorry. But uh, I thought you meant Kick. I thought you meant Kickstarter as it a was concept. Something so like what a Kickstarter? I, yeah. Yeah. Well, so what? What you said, Don, makes perfect sense. I, it just there. There are a lot of things like Kickstarter, and you can sort of roll your own too. So what you said is no, still here's valid. The, here's the one problem with that, and Don will agree, and he already knows this. I just think it needs to be said. Someone like me who only wanted to pay, maybe I would. Maybe I would have picked it up at 80 bucks. I think there were a lot of people waiting for it to get enough numbers that the price would drop down and they never ended up ordering it because I don't think it actually went. I don't think it did as well as they thought it was going to do. Yeah, that's, that's definitely always the risk with like the crowdfunding stuff, right? It's like, what if you real quick, real quick, I want to say this because I so I know that in the past I've been famously uh, against uh, third party stuff and. You know, it still ruffles my feathers sometimes, and I'm, it's not my favorite thing in the world. But the whole issue, the whole concept around it, and the the interesting problem that this creates, it's really fascinating. 
Uh, if somebody wanted to, and you know, if anybody out there listening to this is uh, in school to get an economics degree uh, or a dononomics degree, there's probably a master's or PhD thesis in this if somebody really wanted to look into it because it is truly fascinating. Oh, if I was only 19 again and, and, it, and it, at Wilmington, I could. Yeah, yeah I could, Don. I could you blow change the world. Off with this, but you change it's the world. Not too yeah. late. But, uh, it's not too late. Hey, uh, I have one last topic to go around the. Uh, around the horn on and it's uh it's about survival so whether or not this is a market correction i think it probably is and uh you know i i, I it's it's a matter of who's going to outlast who who's going to take advantage of uh, one less option kind of dropping off the radar uh one of the conundrums i have in my own head is is basically so like what is the recipe for success if you're a third-party uh, manufacturer and I say that because uh, as someone who uh, I'll buy a third party uh, figure here and there uh, if it meets a very specific uh, desire of mine. But for the most part, I'm not I'm not kind of a ravenous, consistent uh, consumer of it. Uh, in other words, they, they you know, I'm probably part of the majority where the third party company really has to earn earn my purchase. Uh, there's not a whole lot of obligation like, frankly, there might be. With first-party stuff, to a degree, there's a bit of obligation in there in, in our community. So, I still feel like, to to a large degree, outside of a few exceptions, when a lot of third-party stuff is released uh, on a toy-by-toy basis, I feel like in the back of my head, I hear a drum roll when a toy is released. Up until the point where somebody I trust gives me the thumbs up, thumbs down, gives me a general. Uh, high-level review or I watch a review literally on YouTube, uh, I have no idea outside of a few exceptions whether a toy is going to truly be good, bad, whether it's going to have a, a, a horrific flaw in it or if it's going to be fine or if it's going to be amazing. Uh, there's, there's a really um, wide set of possibilities with almost every third-party toy, I feel, uh, that comes out. Like I said, there's a big drum roll kind of happening. So, uh, that's my personal like take on it. The other thing too is so since since quality uh, can vary, and, and there's always that kind of inherent uncertainty with third party product. No matter how hard they uh, they work to earn your trust, there's something I think just generally speaking, just some kind of inherent uncertainty. Yeah, you've got you've got that uncertainty of product quality, and then you've also have this case of uh, there's not a lot of uh, probably because of their business model. Not a lot of these companies are just completely flush with cash all the time, which means they don't have a terribly huge marketing budget. So they can't really like outshout each other. They all have kind of their, they have, they all have a very similar set of things in their uh, marketing uh, utility belt. They have social media, the, you know, they have their own website, they have the distributors, they, they, you know, that you can see um, uh, flashy graphics on landing pages here and there. Um, even make toys has uh, a booth rendering. So, you know, I mean, as some of them do, I mean, they showed off kind of like their latest booth design on Facebook in the last month or so. So they do do the, um, trade show circuit, certainly overseas in their, in their home markets, not terribly much here. That'd be pretty hard, but they have uh, the similar, similar kind of gra- grassroots style and a little bit of trade show style marketing. So it's hard to, it's hard to analyze and, and like, if you were um, a consultant to them, it would be very kind of tricky to go to them and say, okay, guys, here's the recipe for success. Here's the recipe for gaining market share. Here's the recipe for making people um, change their buying decisions and habits to shift over to you versus another guy who may be releasing the exact same uh, toy or, or uh, a toy that's trying to accomplish the exact, the exact same thing as you. So is it marketing? Is it just trying to do like overwhelming, overwhelmingly great product quality? I'm not sure exactly what the recipe for success is. So I'm going to ask each one of you guys, what do you think in the next year or two is the recipe for success, if there even is one, for any old given third-party company? What I mean, what is the mix? What do they need to focus on? What were some of the things they need to address at a very high level to survive and maybe flourish as the market kind of constricts and find and finally kind of picks real winners and losers kind of in chunks. So Brian Kilby, you got a mind for business. You got a mind for podcasting. So give us via the podcast 
your analysis. I, so I, I love the question because I try to think in terms of business because uh, I just do. Like I do a podcast that the whole point of it is it's 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 role playing games in context of like business. Um, so when it comes to this, when you say success, I mean that means different things. Uh, I, like so. Like any other business or any other endeavor or project or whatever, you have to upfront define what your measures of success are. And the measures of success for each of these different companies could be wildly different, just like my measures of success are wildly different than somebody else's. Or a movie director uh, may make 15 movies in their lifetime and none of them may turn a profit, but they'll view their life as successful because they made the movies they wanted to make, whether anybody saw them or not. Um, so the the co- I, again, I think the cost of entry into the market is so low that it's not inconceivable that somebody does that uh, several of these companies do this as a hobby with no expectation of actually making money in the end because manufacturing costs are low, uh, cost of goods and cert- the cost of um the the um, components are relatively low. And again, you can do the prototyping at home with a 3D printer. You, you could use CAD or whatever you use, you know, to design it. People pirate that stuff all the time. Could seriously just be some dude in his basement doing this for fun. <clears throat> so for that person, yeah, I mean, maybe they make some of the toys. Maybe they get some of the toys uh, made professionally that goes on their shelf. You know, their measures of success are pretty low. They can get, you know, they can get by and keep doing this stuff forever. Other people, you know, probably more complex organizations that actually do need to turn a profit. Uh, those companies are probably are going to be more focused on, you know, what's their strategy, defining what their measures of success are. How are they competing? How are they going to market? So uh, probably you'll have some that try to capitalize on the shortcomings of other companies. You know, some probably just have, you know, a hammer is the only tool that I have. So I'm always going to do a hammer. So I'm always going to do a third party masterpiece toy because that's what I know. Um, But I mean, honestly, I think probably the company that's going to be the most successful are are the ones that are able to sell the toys. I know that sounds ridiculous and obvious, but if success is actually getting toys in the hands of other human beings who want them, it's going to be a matter of selling toys that you can sell at a reasonable cost. So not a tremendous amount goes into the manufacturing, the transportation, the distribution, all of that stuff. Uh, something that is, doesn't have to be the best toy, but it can't be the worst toy either. Um, it's probably going to be somebody who just aims towards the middle, who doesn't want to be the best, but want to, they want to be good at everything. Uh, companies like that are probably going to be the ones that I think are the most successful. And I guess in my mind, that's probably companies. Uh, gosh, what would be a good example? Make Toys. Uh, MMC, they're not necessarily the best at everything, but they're pretty good at getting toys out in people's hands. I think companies that probably won't do that well are toys like uh, Fans Toys, which focus way too much on high cost of goods or high quality goods. Uh, shipping costs are ridiculous. Um, obviously, they can only get so many toys out. So how many toys they get out in a year? Four or five? If somebody else beats them to market, I would say that... Uh, Something like that. Companies that are able to actually move product into the hands of people without having to compromise too much. Jack, what about you? What I mean, what to you is a recipe for success? If there is one, I mean, is it for third parties in the next year or two? Is it is it price point? Is it driving finding breaking breaking the walls down of price points, driving the pricing down? Is it marketing? Is it product quality? Like, how do you tell those stories? What are the what do you think uh, a third part third party company needs to do uh, in this kind of new world that we're in right now? Oh, it, that's a very hard question, honestly, because there's always different factors in play. Like with the fans toys and DX nine, DX nine was coming out and throwing a shot by just putting a uh, Omega Supreme out at two hundred eighty dollars. I mean, that kind of forced F fans toys in one part to lower their price uh i mean if they wanted to be successful with that figure i think they were kind of forced to to do that price drop whether you agree or disagree that's 
just how I feel. Um, I, I think fans toys is a success because most of their figures that come out are well received and have good quality. Um, uh, but I also think they need to get the figures out a little bit quicker. Uh, and they're ones to, you know, every time another company releases that they're going to do a figure that they say, oh, we're going to do that figure too. We've we've got like a year and a half, if not two years worth of fans toys figures that we know are coming out that just are in the pipeline. Uh, so we've got a decent amount from them where other companies they almost drop it when it's when it's done when it's ready to go to market so as far as success i think it's just getting it in the hands of the fans and they like it and the company stays around and stays you know whatever they want to do profitability wise that's on their side that's how they measure them as success but for the fans i think it's quality and getting stuff into fans' hands and them liking it and not going so, under. So um, before I give Don the uh, the last word, as he deserves, uh, Diecast, you you survey the third-party market as well as anybody uh, on any show uh, at uh, tfradio.net. And so I have a question now for you. Um, you know, in any industry or most industries, I would say, that companies, different companies carve out different uh, niches. They try to own different different parts of a consumer's mind uh, and then translate that to uh, to a business model or vice versa. Their business model uh, kind of, kind of uh, writes their story for them. And, and, and so they kind of go to market with, uh, with a story based on their business model. So I would ask you, and the Omega Supreme example is really good because it, uh, it tells me you've got two companies uh, that uh, where at least one of them didn't feel like they uh, they weren't confident in their pricing. They weren't confident, perhaps in in that uh, they weren't co- confident that their consumer was confident in the company that uh, that the quality of the product justified the price, and that they would hold uh, a commitment to that product because uh, well, if it costs X dollars, it must be worth X dollars. So, I, so I would ask you of all the third party uh, companies that you can think of. Which third-party company do you think has been the most successful at establishing themselves as the uh, as the maker of the best quality product? And uh, which uh, third-party company do you think has established themselves as making the product that has the best value? So that would be different, two different things. So who do you think has established themselves as like the Mercedes, basically, of, of the world or the, you know, the uh, Maserati of the third-party world where... Uh, their stuff is it's just the best and whatever it costs that's how much it costs and then which uh, third-party maker do you think has established themselves as the value leader uh bang for buck uh and if they haven't if you if you can't think of two people then that might speak to an opportunity there but uh anyway who do you think is the cadillac and who do you think is the value leader in third party it it's hard it's hard to say i mean i i definitely don't think there's a ferrari out there um, I think there's good companies and even with fans toys, like they can have a figure that really in my eyes is disappointing. So uh, I mean, fans toys is at the top of the list for me as far as quality. And I guess even fan, you know, how fans feel, you know, the level of their figures, they're pretty high. Uh, I can't think of one that's like a really good, good value right now the only one i could think of in my mind dx9's kind of there um i I would say zeta toys which is a newer company but may have been related to toy world in some capacity uh because they're coming out and their combiner figures i think were like 60 us and and most combiner figures are roughly 80 us uh so i i think that's a pretty good value 20 off a figure um, now, whether those figures are actually worth it or not is another thing entirely. That's interesting. It's an, it's interesting to think. It's interesting to kind of survey the field and, and ask yourself. And honestly, these companies should ask yourself. This is a Western uh, kind of bias. This is a very kind of uh, Westernized view of, of kind of like uh, you're finding your place in a market. So it could be different internationally, but uh, maybe not. But it is interesting to kind of survey the field and see. Who has carved out their place in third party? And if not, why not? Uh, 
value, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the person who is the, the, the premium, uh, don't ask about the cost because if you have to, you can't afford it, but it's worth it. That, that person, that, that entity, uh, the value leader, um, and then maybe the, uh, the price leader. You know what I mean? The who has the rock bottom prices. Uh, it's kind of like your, your Walmart and your Target and your Neiman Marcus kind of thing going on. Hey, Don, you had, uh, you had one thing you wanted to add in, and then I will ask you about, uh, about keys to success for third parties, but what you got? Oh, that no. What I said earlier about the uh, the the Kickstarter style campaign was what I wanted to add. Was, uh, I added that. Earlier. Um, so, what do you think is the uh, is the recipe for success? I mean, is it marketing? Is it is it trying to like really hammer home to the world how good your product is quality wise? Um, is it pricing? I mean, I mean, what do you think? What do you think is the path to success for a third party company in the next couple of years? Actually, John, I think it's going to be all those. Uh, the, these companies, again, like Brian, as you said in the past, companies is kind of in air quotes there, but they're going to have to, one, relay information better. For example, we have the Function X line. That line is now four years old. We're only five, four or five figures in. We didn't, we didn't, we, we didn't hear anything on the last figure for almost eight, nine months, maybe even longer than that. So communication on, uh, to the people that's interested in their product price with the prices of Takara's masterpieces going upwards of $100. Now, again, with Sunstreaker, there's licensings I'm sure involved as well as, uh, you know, parts count and all that. But, you know, Diecast earlier used downbeat. You know, I can't see a Takara Jazz being so much more better. And if they have to pay for that license amount, similar to what they did for Lamborghini, you know, I can't see the I can't see a hundred and forty dollar Jazz being better than what I've got here. So they're going to have to look at price versus Takara, especially if they're doing a G one masterpiece. They're going to have to look at communications with their fan base on what's upcoming and information as it progresses. They're going to have to, uh, I guess the best way to phrase this is they're going to have to not try to compete with Takara on every category. You know, we we recently had all the hoists. We recently had all the trail breakers because that's not, it's been hinted at, but it's not been revealed. They're going to have to do like what TFC did and look at other company, other eras of Transformers. They might have to look at Brave. They might have to look at going back to original creations. They're going to have to look at all these aspects to try to find the best balance for them. Uh, I think also what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to streamline their operations because I just recently picked up uh, X-Transbot's hoist uh, off eBay because I like their hoist. It's the simplest transformation of the bunch, but it's not, you know, dead simple, but it's very simple. But you do have a lot of extra parts in here like the solar power tower, you've got, you know, the faces that came for the, you know, the when Hoist Goes Hollywood. You know, all this stuff is great. I mean, I mean, I love, I love you get the alien mask for Hoist Goes Hollywood that you can put on your figure. But they're going to have to look at, if I lose these parts and I am able to reduce the price, will that make me more competitive and be able to put that money into, say, better paint, better QC, or things of that nature as well. So I don't want to cop out by saying it's all of that, but it kind of is, because you've got to have to find the right balance of all those things to be successful. Totally understand, and I don't disagree. Um, guys, this was a great discussion. Third Party never stops giving us uh, wonderful nuggets to, uh, to chew on, and I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. Uh, before we go... You find beautiful listeners out there. I just want to remind everybody to check out the new website that Brian Kilby has built with his bare hands, tfradio.net. And you can go to tfradio.net slash Amazon and support the show. Just uh, go to tfradio.net slash Amazon. Do your Amazon shopping. We get a few nickels and dimes, some shekels from your uh, checkout total. And we use those to keep the lights on. So you support the show without doing anything other then go into tfreo.net slash Amazon. You can also just click an Amazon link when you're at tfreo.net, looking at all the latest podcasts from the vast network that Brian Kilby has also with his bear. 
So uh, for the guys, for Brian Gilby, for Headmaster Don, for Diecast, this is John DeLuna. I want to wish everybody out there uh, happy Independence Day, happy 4th of July, if you live in the States. If you don't, that's okay. We love you guys. Um, light a firecracker for us. Why don't you? Uh, I'm John DeLuna. We'll see you on the next RSC Minicast. Music provided by bensound.com. <laughs>